This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Ray Starling, Special Assistant to the President for Agriculture, Trade, and Food Assistance. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food fiber and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Ray Starling next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. From North Carolina to Washington and the family farm to the White House, Ray Starling's life experiences are now helping him advise the nation's commander-in-chief on agriculture and rural issues. Starling says regulatory reform is one of the major achievements of the Trump administration. The president likes to point out the regulation count. We're repealing multiples of the number that we're actually putting in place. Some of that is going to behoove agriculture. Some of that is interpretation that we need to do better. Obviously, the big win for agriculture is the work we're doing on waters of the United States. But it's across the board. Uh, and it's some at USDA, but it really is a lot at other agencies which really don't view ag as their key constituents. So at FDA and at EPA, uh, even at the Army Corps of Engineers, all of those folks, uh, again, hear the message from the top that this is an important constituency. And I think we're making progress and changing changing the mindset. Secretary Purdue has really set the tone at USDA because he talks a lot about the culture, changing the culture. If what we are trying to do is get your behavior into some sort of compliance structure, there are probably ways we can do that more efficiently than giving you a citation or fining you. Uh, If we can educate you into compliance, if we can uh, mitigate any misunderstandings that we have about what the actual rules and the laws cover uh, and give you a chance to correct those errors, uh, I feel like we, we really reach our end goals of regulation faster than if we are just pure punishers when it comes to enforcing the regulatory scheme. I think there's been a concern of agriculture that the regulatory agencies have gone beyond the letter of the law and acted not only as the regulatory agency, but the judge and the jury at the same time. Yeah, and part of that is this concern that they don't really understand the stake that farmers have in the outcome themselves, right? Uh, certainly there are, there are actors that push the limit in any industry Uh, But I'm very fond of saying in the ag sector, and I think you would agree with this, and certainly uh, your audience does, that these are folks who have the very same goals as the regulators in mind. If it's a safer, cleaner environment, uh, if it's better work standards for workers, you mean pick the the topic. Uh, We share that goal, uh, that policy outcome. It, it, It a lot of times comes down to then 
what is the path to get there and what makes the most sense. You know, farmers just want to know their voice is heard in that process. I can help you get to your regulatory goal if you'll sit down with me and make sure make sure that we do indeed agree on that goal. Uh, but I can probably tell you how to regulate me better to help me get there than if you just come out and throw something down on the table and expect me to be able to comply. Farmers were pleased to hear the president say we want a farm bill this year and we want a farm bill with crop insurance. I think we're proving now in the early throes of that 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 might be an easier request than it is to fulfill uh, especially as this is an even year uh, and there is an election that's coming in the fall. Um, what role will you, what role will the president play with regard to the development of policy? I, th I think it's funny because the, the press often likes to talk about, you know, such a challenging environment for the Farm Bill. I would like to ask those of you that have been covering the Farm Bill for 20 or 30 years, have you ever seen an easy one, right? It's always challenging. Uh, it always takes a lot of work, and we in ag watch it very closely because there's obviously a lot at stake for us. I, I think our role and my role here at the White House is uh, obviously we need to know what our priorities are. Uh, we need to know what the touchstones are for the things that are actually going to need the president's attention. Uh, and then we've got to navigate that tough system on the hill, if you will, that, 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 that frankly, Chairman Conway and Chairman Roberts and, and both of the ranking members are trying to do now. We have to navigate that process without making it any more difficult. And so for us, what I've tried to do here at the White House is really avoid line drawing or putting out maxims that are saying we will or will not stand or not stand for this or that. Uh, we've got to figure out what the environment is, what is possible. The president has a ton of trust in the two chairmen. I have a ton of trust in them and also their staffs. They are absolute crackerjacks. I've enjoyed working with them. The same is actually true of both ranking members and their staff, great people that we've now known for years. Uh, we've got to get this done. Uh, if you want me to say something provocative about the farm bill, I would just say, I went back several months ago and watched an interview with Bob Dole when he talked about the marriage of the ag part, if you will, of the farm bill with food assistance. And what was critical to me was he talked about that marriage was designed to get the bill done. And it does seem like we are now beginning to be in an era, and we're the last time we went through this negotiation. Uh, I, I don't want to be the person in the administration that suggests a divorce, uh, but I do occasionally think maybe we should have gotten a prenuptial agreement before we made that marriage. Uh, it does seem like it needs a little bit of marriage counseling uh, these days. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But our job here at the White House, I think at least at the beginning, is to not make that any more difficult. Farmers were relieved when the president said he wanted crop insurance. But then there's the fine print of the details because when his budget came out, it looked like crop insurance was going to cost the farmers more and they might lose the harvest price option. And, oh, yes, a means test. Are these words and letters written in ink and in stone, and is that the bottom line, or is this administration willing to work with the congressional leaders to understand why this program maybe doesn't need to change so much? I think it goes to the last point I made, which is we want to be malleable. I think we know we have to have room to move. So, yes, those, those, some of those opening salvos are written in ink. I don't think they're written in stone. Uh, I, I think folks ought to understand that the budgeting process for the administration is always painful, particularly when you tie yourself to trying to get to a balanced budget, trying to identify top-line priorities like spending $60 billion more billion on the military, 
like the president's wall uh, down on the border, when you put those priorities in first and then say we also don't want to cut entitlement programs, but we also want to balance the budget in 10 years or more, uh, you have to make some tough choices. And so uh, I would like to posit that those are uh, certainly markers. They are certainly important. Uh, they are the president's budget. Uh, but at the end of the day, Congress will write the farm bill. Congress will write the budget. Uh, we don't need to box ourselves into anything just yet. So we take another step. And I realize we're sitting in your office, not the Oval Office, and that I'm talking to Ray Starling and not Donald Trump. But some in agriculture may be a bit concerned with the heavy-handedness and the comments that have come to trading partners and about trade agreements and even in this air now of tariffs. They fear we're moving to protectionism and that it may be agriculture that falls on the sword to get the fair trade the president's working for. Help us understand where this administration is now. I think the first thing that the ag community really does connect with the president on on this issue is we're already trading in a global market. We have very sophisticated folks in the ag sector that are out trying to expand markets. We spend money uh, trying to do that, look for new places for our product to go, and we have to because it's so important to our bottom line now. Uh, but we're also very familiar with the challenges that global trade presents. And I could spend uh, you know, the good part of an hour talking about some of the challenges that we have getting ag products into China that for our folks don't make a lot of sense. Uh, an AI ban on our poultry, issues with our rice imports when we have some of the best sanitary and phytosanitary standards in the world and some of the best farmers, the biotechnology approval process there, all of those things seem to be, at least from the outside looking in, a way for that country to manipulate the market in terms of who has access and who doesn't. In our view, that is relatively selfish trading. Uh, that is relatively self-centered. Uh, and if we are coming to the table and saying, let's do what's good for both of us, but our trading partners are saying, I want to do what's good for me, then we've got to acknowledge that. And we've got to figure out, is there a way to address that? And so, uh, clearly, there are two different trains of thought. I mean, if you summarize sort of the way we've done it and you summarize the way I think we are doing it now as an administration, uh, and not to minimize or be overly colloquial about either either way of doing it, uh, one strategy is that we talk, right, that, that, that we try to find a solution through talking and we hope for progress. I think this administration is saying, we want to actually take some action to hit a reset button here and hope for progress. And you might be tempted to think, okay, on one side you said talk, and on one side you said actually take action. Those are the operative terms. I actually think the operative terms for both of those mental thoughts or trains of philosophy, if you will, are and see what happens. So we have seen from talking now, from having these dialogues for a number of decades, that we're not making the progress we feel like we re need to make. We are not getting a reset button hit. Um, it does remain to be seen what is going to happen when we take action. Uh, but clearly we are hoping that in the long term, uh, we hit the reset button on some of this stuff and have more sincere conversations about agreeing to international standards that are defensible, not manipulating markets through non-market barriers, if you will. And it, so it's going to be interesting to watch. But I, but I think we've been clear that that's our philosophy. Uh, we hear a lot in the ag sector about TPP because TPP was clearly going to be good on the whole uh, for agriculture. Uh, one of the things I like to point out about TPP I, I can find the tape of where Leader McConnell and Paul Ryan said in the summer of 2016, I don't have the votes to pass TPP in my chamber. 
And so while there's a lot of focus on the administration with regard to these multilateral agreements, I think I've heard a learned speaker yesterday note that there's also something changing in the American psyche about that. And frankly, the president appealed to that perhaps just as much as he has fed that. And if you think of China, they have a demand for food, and we have been a reliable supplier. But to your point, China appears now to be holding the U.S. product to a higher standard, a foreign material percentage that they're not holding to Brazil nor to Argentina. And the fear is that not only will this affect our relationship with China, this may affect the rest of the world. So at some point, at some point, things do need to come together. And you can appreciate an administration who looks at a trade relationship with China that's just China $400 billion. Is there not some way... Right. To make this better. Right. That's right. And, and I think for ag, what is, what is making us nervous is that despite the misgivings, despite the challenges, over the course of the last 25 years in particular, we have made strides in growing those markets. And we have been successful. And we certainly don't want to go backwards. Uh, but I, I do think uh, it, it comes down to this question of uh, if we don't do some of the things we're doing now, then what is what is ag's answer to make it better and so i spend a lot of my time talking with commodity group leaders and farmers about in this environment how do you use your energy to be productive i don't think our farmers need to be hand wringing uh, i also don't think folks need to spin plates in terms of um, you know saying that oh i've contacted my representative all of that stuff is important but we have more capital and more clout uh, than that. It is important for us to continue to have quiet conversations with folks throughout the administration that are at the table making these decisions um, and, and be prepared and, and realize that the president has our long-term interest at heart. And you understand the farmer's aspect, sure. knowing that you speak for the farmer, that if we pulled out a NAFTA and if we turned off China, and if we turn more protectionist, that we produce a lot more than we use, and it could be a catastrophic effect on rural America. Yeah, I think that's right, particularly at a time when we're seeing, you know, generally a three- to four-year trend in lower prices. Uh, that adds to the nervousness level. Um, so at the end of the day, I hope we're, we're getting to a good place uh, with, with some of these renegotiations that we're working on. Um, everyone in ag is worried about retaliation when it comes to the China issue. Uh, th- that is not news to us. We also uh, have that in the backs of our minds and, frankly, on the front of our minds. Uh, we have had discussions about what our reaction will be to that. Uh, I think the, the best thing for me to say is that is all yet to be determined, partly because we don't know how they're going to react, right? We don't know exactly what they're going to do, uh, but I think we are sharp enough to know they're going to react. When the president was in Iowa and on the campaign trail, supported renewable fuel. And when there was some question about the direction of the EPA, supporting renewable fuel, supporting the RFS. But the president's also looking for a compromise between oil and water. And I'm not sure that you can, I'm not sure that you can bring those two sides together. So let's substitute oil for, uh, let's substitute oil for the oil industry and let's substitute water for, uh, renewable fuels. And, he, and he's looking for a compromise. There have been a number of meetings. One meeting recently canceled felt that there needed to be more negotiations. How involved is the president in this decision? And any particular timetable that he set for himself for a conclusion? 
Yeah, to, to one of your questions, um, how involved is the president? The president is very involved uh, in this particular topic. This is one that has gained his attention now in two different hour-long meetings uh, with outside stakeholders, including senators on the Hill, both times. Uh, he's been well briefed on this issue. He understands the significance of the RFS to the ag community. He understands that this is now something we have fully integrated into our markets and into our production system uh, and that we cannot disrupt that. Uh, at the same time, uh, there are questions out there about whether the particular system that we have in place today uh, is being is entirely fair or is having unintended consequences. And interestingly, or, or perhaps predictably, depending on which side of the conversation you're on, you are saying, no, the market is working just as it was intended to do, the legislation is doing exactly what it was designed to do, or you're arguing it's creating unintended consequences. I feel like the reason this has taken so much time now, this conversation literally started back in December at the highest levels here and continues, is because what the president would like to see is a win-win, right? When you're an elected official and you've got two different stakeholder groups that you care deeply about their policies, you would love for them to work it out and bring you an answer. And so that's what we've been spending time doing. And, and I've expressed publicly before, we are very grateful to both of those communities uh, for pushing themselves into trying to be creative to say, is there a way that we could address REN cost pressure without addressing the positive aspects of, of the RFS generating and, and meaning to generate more demand for ethanol in the fuel supply. I think to fast forward to your uh, last question, the timetable, how will it end, uh, our process um, has been to, to put those stakeholders in a room, uh, to pull those stakeholders back out of a room and work individually with them. Uh, at the end of the day, what you would like to see is a proposal from both sides that largely overlaps. Uh, I think we're nearing a place where the creativity uh, is, has been pretty much exhausted. Uh, and I've been in the room before when someone's looked at the president, not on this issue, but on another issue, uh, and they say some very daunting words. They say, uh, you know, we're, we're, this is kind of the end of the ideas, Mr. President. It's time to make a decision. And so uh, I suspect over the course, you know, before we get too far into spring, uh, the principals will come back together, uh, Administrator Pruitt, Secretary Purdue, and others who weigh, on, weigh in on this topic here at the White House and say, look, he here's what the options look like. Um, here's who's going to be pleased with this decision, who's going to be upset with this decision, you know, what do you want to do? Uh, I think recently you heard uh, that there is some discussion that this is really up to Congress to fix, that Congress would be the, the place to work out the equities on this. Uh, I do think that's an option. Uh, but I also think that given the level of attention the President's given this issue, uh, that it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he will, you know, make a decision based on uh, the information we're able to present. One last area as our time ends, this President also is paying close attention to rural America. And as, almost as soon as Secretary Purdue was um, sworn into his position, he was appointed a task force chair to look at rural America to how to make it better. Those results are back now, and they overlay a lot with his goal for infrastructure and, and his goal for building rural America. Yeah, really, the task force reports came back and, and uh, epitomizes what we believe and, and thought ahead of time that we probably needed for rural America and for the ag sector. 
Uh, and that is you'll see in that report, you'll see references to the importance of trade. Uh, you'll see references to the uh, point of developing our workforce in rural America. And, and by that, there is a smaller or a subset of that conversation that's focused on hand-intensive agriculture labor uh, and the H-2A program and what are we going to do with the, the DACA program and all this kind of stuff. But there's e- an even higher-level conversation about the folks that their status is not questionable. These, these are folks that have grown up in our rural communities um, how do we get them into the workforce, keep them into the workforce, get them educated for the workforce, then regulatory reform. And some of that is uh, beyond the nuts and bolts of the things that most folks would think about. How do we manage biotechnology regulation and all the changes in biotech going forward, something that, that the press has talked about a lot. And then last but not least on infrastructure, we think a lot about rural broadband. Uh, what Secretary Purdue concluded was if you took that entire report uh, and you put it on a, a piece of sheet music, piano, of music, if you will. I play the piano a little bit. Uh, I like to say that rural broadband is the middle C of that report in terms of what we've got to work on because so much more rural health care, education, uh, a lot of that emanates from that ability to have access to the Internet out in the heartland. It, it epitomizes our objectives. It really is a roadmap for us. Well, Ray Starling, we want to thank you so much for the opportunity to have spent time here and for you to be a guest on Open Mic. There will be future invitations, but it is tradition of the program to provide you an open forum and you have an open mic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I like to think about food for thought. Uh, what got me into this line of work many years ago, and you and I talked about our FFA experiences and, and 4-H before that, uh, I was able to see, I think at a relatively young age, that we were going to do technology and production well. And we have. We are producing more than we've ever produced per acre with fewer inputs than we ever have. And, and we really have just gotten to the tip of the iceberg. But identifying the limiting characteristics on our gains in ag, I, I observed years ago that I thought that was largely going to be around how we communicate about ag what the social thought is about agriculture, what the political and the policy field look like. So understand the dichotomy there. On one side, we've said our farmers are the best in the world. Our scientists are the best in the world. Our our companies that bring agribusiness products to the market are going to be cutting edge compared to anybody in the world. But we've got these other limiting factors uh, that are not scientific, they're not technical, they're policy, they're communications. We've got to talk more about those, uh, and we've got to focus more on those. Some of that's got to be private sector and outside of Washington, D.C., because generally Washington is going to listen to the landscape. And so if we've got folks questioning the way we produce food, questioning whether our farmers are transparent or sustainable, uh, we've got to be able to answer those questions. And I feel like we have the answers to the questions, but we've got to train folks uh, to be able to tell that story. Uh, I get to tell that story on the inside at the White House, so that's really fun. Uh, but there are thousands of other places it needs to be told every day. Our thanks to Ray Starling, Special Assistant to the President for Agriculture, Trade, and Food Assistance, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.